You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. This is how it feels. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke, and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I'm joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. Graduation season is now here. While this can be an exciting time, it can also be a scary one, too. So, Danny, I'm curious, what memory comes to mind when you think about graduation and when you realize things were going to be different? Yeah, so I could give you like a great, great story about an epic graduation party we had where my friend went to jail and we had to bail him out. $5,000 I had to come up with to bail him out. Afterwards, he was on house arrest for like a month. But I don't think that's what you're looking for here. No, no. no? Um, but that sounds like a, an interesting story for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So probably the first time when I realized, you know, things were going to be different, I went to a community college because um, probably going back to that graduation party, I don't think I was ready to quite live on my own yet. Um, but I remember that the first semester I was okay, but the second semester I just – I didn't apply myself like I should have. And I remember my parents, so we lived in South Florida. My parents owned an appliance business, and I was delivering appliances in the hot, humid Florida sun. By like 9 a.m., it felt like 95 degrees. And I remember, I, I do, after I got my grades like May for, for, for that second semester, and once again, I didn't do well. And I'm standing in the warehouse after a hot, hot day, and I'm like, this could be my life. Like if I seriously, like if I don't apply myself right now, like I could be delivering appliances when I'm 45 and no, do I want to do that? Absolutely not. So you'll be proud of me. The next semester in college, I made straight A's. I made the president's list. And then I realized at that time, you know what? I like to be inside in the air air conditioning in South Florida. So that's why I became a teacher so I could be an AC. But, uh, But that was the moment, you know, for me, that awakening moment of like, you know what? You've got to start applying yourself. And, you know, and we're going to get into a little bit um, with our guests that college isn't the end all be all for everyone. But, you know, for me, it was like, okay, I wanted to be a teacher. So I have to have a four year degree to do so. But definitely a a big wake up moment for me. For sure. I can only imagine. How about you? That's a really good question. Um, I always knew I wanted to go to school and, and kind of grew up very academic. I really love to learn. But I think when it really hit me was when I was stepping out to take my first job and like realizing just the amount of pressure that that truly is. And my parents kind of were like, all right, there you go. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Make it happen. Yes. So uh, as we talked about before on our very favorite topic of financial adulting, you know, you, uh, you learn a lot for sure in yeah, those moments. Definitely. So figuring out exactly what you want to do in life can be extremely confusing. To help us out, we are being joined by a man whose passion is helping young adults do so. Mitchell Earl, the COO at Praxis. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mitchell. Yeah, thank you both for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, here. awesome, awesome. And since I'm a gracious host, I'll start the same with the same question that I asked Whitney and I answered. So what memory comes to mind, Mitchell, when you think about graduation and when you realize things were going to be different? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun question to lead off. And, 
you know, like like Whitney, I was very academically inclined growing up, and I felt like I felt an immense amount of pressure coming out of high school to do something prestigious, to yeah. do something impressive sounding, especially coming from a small town where students who got good grades, who you know made good scores on tests, you felt sort of this pressure to go do the most impressive sounding thing. Um, and and I got out into college, and that was like the first time I had a, somewhat of an identity crisis. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really this existential crisis so much as realizing I hadn't put very much thought into what I really wanted to do, um, what I was interested in, what I was passionate about. I felt that a lot of my life decisions, um, you know, decisions about what I, where I went to school, what I was studying, all of those, they were kind of predicated on this, this, this external motivation. Um, you know, I wanted to make money. I wanted to have a stable career. I wanted to do the things I felt were expected of me. Um, but it wasn't until I got a few years down the road that I really started thinking about like the intrinsic motivation. What is it that I want to do? What kind of impact do I want to have? What kind of problems do I want to solve? When I got out of college, that that's where it was a very rude awakening because school was easy. Um, charting a course through school is, is somewhat easy too. Right. Um, you know, you, you, you go in, you declare a major and you kind of have this like hopeful optimism uh, that it's all going to work out on the other side. Whatever you studied, you're going to, they're going to hand you a job at graduation yeah. and you'll ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. Right. But and that used to be the way it was, <laughs> right? Same company, 40 years, you get the gold watch at you the end the and the pension watch, and yeah. right. And that's just, that's just not how it is mm-hmm. uh, today and, and not how it's been for you know, probably 20, 30 years. Right. Um, continuing to see the same thing, graduates walking out, they're underemployed or unemployed and, um, their, their degrees aren't really translating into these, not only like this fulfillment, uh, but in many right. cases not even translating to a job in their, the area that they, they, they expressed interest in. And that's, that's sort of what uh, my experience was coming out of college was trying to figure out how to take these ideas about what you think you want to do or, or what you think is, is possible and actually turning that into your career path, turn, like uh, executing that. And so right. – you know, those first handful of years, I was like, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go get a, a law degree or an MBA because I know I want to be involved in business. I know mm-hmm. I want to be an entrepreneur. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to go start a business. I don't know what business. Everyone around me at the time gave me the advice. Well, you should go back to school. That's the best way to go learn about how to run a business. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. yeah. And something about that rubbed me wrong. Um, even as I was um, preparing for law school and, and getting applications back and had really good scholarships. I was still staring at, you know, five to six figures of student debt. And something yeah. about that was like, there has to be a better, a different way to go learn about, you know, starting a business and, and getting the skills that I need that doesn't involve not only three and a half more years of school, but significant debt load right. that I think is going to make make things more difficult trying to start a business and carrying that debt. So um, that was an adventure for sure. And I'm sure we'll get into many more of the lessons that I've learned along the way. And a uh, great question to kick things off. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because we're going to do a future episode. It was uh, Bonnie Ware was a nurse that dealt with a lot of people that were passing away, um, you know, towards the end of their life. And she came up with this paper. It was like five regrets of the of the dying. And one of them was like not being true to yourself. So kind of listening to your story at first, it was like, and a lot of young adults do that. You do kind of what people expect you to do or what 
their definition of the right thing to do. Yeah. And then a lot of times, and I think we see it now with a lot of young people, you go and you think, okay, this is a career I want because they think I'll be happy in it. And they get to it and it's like, huh, it's not yeah. all what I thought it would be. And yeah, yeah I, I think, yeah, 100%. And, and I do think, you know, so I'm right above the millennials. And I do think that generation, it showed, like I was saying, most of us just would stay in a job for 40 years, whether we hated it or not. It was yeah. like, that's what was expected. And I do love now a lot of younger people are like, you know what, if I'm not content, I'm going to find something that brings me more fulfillment. Yep. And, you know, I mean, different elements of that, right? There can be some <laughs> negatives to that as yeah. well. But, um, but yeah, no, so I love your story, but I have to, you know, just ask. So there was no epic graduation party in which the cops came? Am I the only one? <laughs> there, were, there were plenty of those, but probably not. I'm willing to wager you're the only one. That's okay. what I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. moving on anyway, uh, Mitchell, I know that uh, Praxis was created as an alternative to college mm-hmm. and the debt that comes along with a degree, as you yep. were just mentioning. So can you tell us a little bit more about Praxis and how it works? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, Praxis exists shortly to to help people discover and do what makes them come alive. Um, the way that I like to think about it is helping young adults make the strongest start possible. So the way we do Love that, it. it's a year-long program. It is personal, professional career development focused on helping our students get into a growing business, go get that professional work experience, build some skills, build their network, and and all of these sort of intangibles that come along with doing that. Uh, one is, is building confidence in your ability to solve problems in the real world, in a business context, in your career, um, two is is beginning to earn an income and see like see, see that curve of the 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 financial earning potential that comes with like plugging yourself into a career that offers you growth, um, which which ultimately is sort of like a precursor to gaining financial independence, thinking more uh, long term about your career, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is is beginning to build that that professional network, not just the friends you know from school or, mm-hmm. you know, the people you knew from from where you're from, but like beginning to build that that more organic, um, both vertical and horizontal network that you can, you know, those are the people that uh, you're going to turn to for uh, career advice, offer you opportunities, but it's, it's sort of all those things bundled together. We're trying to make people or help people make that strong start as opposed to uh, the way most students who are kind of pushed to college, whether that's really what they feel is the best path or not, or, or it's something that they're doing by default. And in many cases, on the other side of that, um, you know, four years of delayed work experience, mm-hmm. uh, many times mm-hmm. without like a, a real purpose that they're, they're aiming for. And they get out on the other side, they're just as confused as when they started. But now they have, you know, five, six figures of right. student debt, and then they're trying to make their start. And so that's really what we're, we're we're getting after. It's not just about not going to college. It's about helping people be in a position to be more deliberate about how they approach their lives and careers. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, Man, I'm wishing 15, (laughs) 18 years ago I knew about that because uh, I think it's super key on the building that network. That's something that at least I wasn't really taught, but it's the age old saying of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And it really does make a difference between that, like your young 20s when you're coming out of a traditional college situation where you kind of stumble for a few years and you really, I mean, you learn a lot of good life lessons and hopefully you end up where you're supposed to. But man, you think about that chunk of time where you could have been in a more stable situation, building up that 401k, all those things um, that maybe others aren't. That's really cool. Really cool. So while college can be the right path for some, it is not for everyone. 
Coming up after the break, how to do something you don't hate. Great news. You don't have to visit Spain to run with the bulls. Unless you want to get trampled, visit MyMentoro.com and use organization code RUNWITHTHEBULLS to set up your free account today. In this episode, we are being joined by Mitchell Earl of Praxis. In addition to being a COO, I love that you are an author too. The title of your book is so great, Don't Do Stuff You Hate. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. Yet, in Gallup's recent State of the Global Workplace report, workers report they are disengaged and unhappy. In fact, 60% of people say they are emotionally detached at work, and 19% they are miserable. Here in the U.S., 50% of workers report feeling stressed at their jobs on a daily basis, 41% are worried, 22% are sad, and 18% report they are angry. (laughs) Yikes. So Mitchell, how exactly do we do stuff we don't hate? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's one that I've thought about a lot over the years, both in, you know, in context of my own career and also helping people try to go find uh, more meaning in their work and live, live more deliberately. Um, I, I don't think it has to be anything wildly complex. Um, it, it can start with, with radical, simple things. Um, so anytime you find yourself, you know, waking up too many days in a row and you're, you're dreading something, this may be work. It may right. be hit the school, snooze button 10 times. Be, there yeah. may be a problem, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and anytime there's, there's some circumstance in your life that, that is not good and it's not getting better. I mean, it's on you. Nobody else is going to come to save the day and change mm-hmm. those circumstances. Right. And so I think it's it's on you to come up with a plan of like, how can I make this better? Sometimes that means quitting a job. Um, even if you don't have an escape plan, um, probably a better route to at least find some softer landing. But but beginning to eliminate the things that are, are sucking joy from your life. Um, that, especially when you're just starting out early in your career, I think people have this intense amount of pressure built up that they have to pick the one perfect thing. Um, and, and some people go down that path that they think that they're supposed to be on and they realize, hey, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Some people sort of allow inertia to um, get them into their first uh, first job opportunities, first career paths, and they find out that they're unhappy and they're, they're mm-hmm. unfulfilled. And you know, when you're in your, your late teens, your early 20s, like just go try a bunch of things. Um, one of the ways that I like to talk to, to young adults about this is your first job is to go gain clarity. Um, you, it's okay if you, you run a bunch of experiments and those don't turn out the way that you hope they would. Those aren't failed experiments. You're gaining right. data points. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully you're, you're narrowing down the playing field of options. Yeah. So go out there and try to eliminate some things that you know, hey, this is not the path I want to be on. You, that's a useful experiment to conduct. Yes. Um, cross that off the list, move on to the next thing, and, <laughs> right. and go and gain more context about what's out there. Um, if, you, if you begin to sort of el- eliminate options, that's, that's, been, uh, that's been what's been more effective for me in my life is trying to eliminate the things rather than like trying to blindfold a dart throw, find the one perfect path. It's mm. like go out there and try things, narrow down the playing field, and then adapt as you, you gain more information about what makes you come alive, what you're good at, what mm-hmm. other people value. Um, the Japanese have a concept called uh, ikigai, which is sort of like our uh, the, the rough ripoff version of, of what I've just described. But okay. it's very much like trying to find that Venn diagram of like the things you're good at, the things other people value, the things that um, you can do that, that add value to the world, the things you're passionate mm-hmm. about, and like trying to find that sweet spot in the, the middle. Sweet, right. All yep. those things yep. overlap. 
That's really such a cool concept because you think about a 17, 18-year-old. Like, even though at the time you probably think you know everything, the reality is you know nothing compared to the greater world. So to put that pressure on yourself of picking the perfect path. And I am a fellow perfectionist. We talk about it all the time. So, like, that was – I was going to do this one thing, and that's where I was headed. And I spent a lot of time beating my head against the wall. And, you know, thankfully it led me to where I am now. But I could have, yeah, thinking of all the years that I could have bypassed just to come straight here had I done some of that process of elimination and really um, not worried so much about the stigma of having to get it right on the first go. Mm -hmm. So while we all definitely want to be content at work, sometimes we do have to put up with stuff that is not all rainbows and butterflies. Have either of you ever had a job that you weren't happy at? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's interesting. So <laughs> the job I'm thinking of, there's been a couple that I haven't been uh, all excited. But the one in particular, in kind of going back to Mitchell's point, uh, you know, there's all these experiences, but it actually led me to being here today where I am with Mentoro because of the relationships I made there. Ultimately, six, seven years later, led to me being introduced to you, Whitney. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. I think if you are in that career, you know, in that rough patch, I think every job does have something that we can learn from. And, and back to Mitchell's point, it may be something like, hey, I hate this. I know, you know, I'm not going to be a good appliance delivery person. It wasn't <laughs> a passion of mine. I didn't enjoy it. It paid the bills. But hey, cross that off the list. But if some people like it, then so be it. That's great. You know, you got to find what's right for you. But, you know, for me, that that was probably, it was a job that, uh, yeah, I was waking up at three in the morning, losing sleep, just stressed out constantly. So, mm. but I did the best I could. And then over time, it led me to where I am. How about you, Mitchell? I'm sure uh, <laughs> you've had a few. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that, you know, I've, I've mapped this out several times, I think from like age 15, 16 through like 25, 26, like I, I had almost 30 jobs. And, and a lot of those wow. were like overlapping different things that I was doing to make money and, right. and hustling. But my very first few jobs out of college were situations that, that were just not ideal for me. Um, and a combination of, you know, either this is just not something that I'm really passionate about, um, as opposed to like, uh, one of my second jobs at a, at a college is a great story about sort of this this beginning of sort of the the path to finding my thing. Um, I, I knew that I thought at least that I wanted to go back to law school, go to business school because that's what everyone had told me. Sure. Um, when I was coming out of college, I had started a freelance photography business. That was like the only kind of hard tangible skill that I had at the time that I knew I could like I could go be valuable to other people. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that on the side. I was working at this law firm. Um, thinking that I was going back to law school. And that experience was brutal. Um, (laughs) First, it gave me kind of this inside look into uh, the average attorney's life, which was was chaotic. It was, you know, long hours, many of them still paying off student debt in their 40s and and some of them in their early 50s still. Um, It it seemed like they they weren't happy, at least, you know, the attorneys I was working with. The workplace was, you know, for lack of a better term, it it was a toxic environment. People were just at each other's throat. It It was just very... Um, sort of competitive environment. And, um, you know, I, I was interested in the law, but I was seeing like how this played out in people's lives and careers. And I was like, I don't think this is for me. And that was a really, really valuable experience um, at that point in my career where I, where I had this hunch about what I thought I wanted to do and seeing firsthand that, hey, that's not the path um, that I think I want to want to go on. And, and there was this, this one conversation that sort of uh, solidified this for me. 
Um, my boss pulled me in his office one time and he said, hey, I know you're interested in going to law school. I think you, I know you think you want to be an attorney, but he's like, if you ever want to be a serious attorney, you need to stop messing around with photography and just go all in on law. And I don't know, I was, you know, 22 and cocky and like thought I had the world figured right, out and all, right. all mm-hmm. things out. And I was like, I don't know if that's right or not, but it feels like the wrong advice for me. So I quit my job that day. I didn't have another plan, but I was wow. like, I've got to go all in on what I think is is right, is this thing that I'm more interested in right now, that's, that's the path that I'm going to go down. And I mean, that... I ended up getting a photography job after that, that led to another job opportunity and things like start this series of like happy accidents started mm-hmm. to fall into place as, as I like, like that term. Happy yeah, accidents. Happy That's accidents, cool. Like yeah. Failing for it, I guess. But, uh-huh. um, that, that early bad work experience, um, that was something that, that, that idea of like radically escaping, like trying to change my circumstances for the better rather than just perpetually suffering in a bad circumstance. Um, that was something that really began to shape my views about how to go build a career that's that's meaningful to you. And um, and and you know, I think that I think that a lot of people they they discount the value of those bad work experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it also can be really valuable valuable to be able to reflect later on, like, hey, it could be much worse. So, yeah. <laughs> right. True. Well, yeah. True. I mean, yeah. most of the good things that I've learned, I think, were from bad work experiences or bad managers because they taught me that's not what I want. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they definitely have their place. I've been there, done that. I'm kind of like you. I've perpetually worked since, like, 15 yeah. and done a million different types of things. I think probably the worst was front desk at a hotel. Uh, <laughs> People are just yeah. not nice man it's just it is brutal but again learned so much about working with the public and like having empathy towards people and you know yeah it's just it's it's good to have those experiences so Mitchell let's say you're in that season of life in which you don't really enjoy what you're doing but you have bills and you need to be able to pay those bills what advice would you give yeah that's I mean, that's, that's a great question. And it's, it's an honest question because so many people are, are in that situation. I think, um, you know, I would (laughs) probably sound more like my dad when, when I, when I say this, but I think, um, you know, the fact of the matter is like, sometimes you just have to grin and bear it. And that doesn't mean you can't be doing things, um, planning your escape to, to better circumstances. But if you're in a, if you're in a tight financial spot, like, first of all, you've likely you're likely responsible for creating those circumstances. So, so you do have to take some responsibility <laughs> and know that like, Hey, if my circumstances are going to be better, it's on me to figure out a path and plan. And I think that this is why I, I get so passionate, not just about like careers and kind of finding your thing, but also like personal finance as the foundation to optionality uh, and that like that freedom to go pursue meaning is get your house in order first. You can still be, you know, taking classes on the side or building up a portfolio or trying to, you know, better yet, uh, find a side hustle where you can earn extra money so you can you you can plan your escape faster or maybe move into, uh, you know, make a career pivot that's something you enjoy more. But sometimes you do have to grin and bear it, at least, uh, you know, at least until you're in a, in a better spot where you right. can maneuver and, and not be, you know, not be in a situation where you can't pay your bills. Um, because you stop, you stop working, quit a job that you don't like. Sometimes right. you just have to work hard and, and, uh, you know, be doing everything you can to, to make that change. 
Right, yeah. right. I mean, it's good to quit, like, when you're not happy, but yes. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, if you have responsibilities, like me, I have a daughter in college, I have another daughter in high school. <laughs> I mean, I got bills to pay, so if Whitney upsets me, it's not like I can just say, all right, I'm out. I got, I got to make <laughs> it never my... happens, <laughs> never, though. Never, never. never no. happens. But no, you do. I mean, it is. You do. It's, there's some days you do just have to just, you know, suck it up, buttercup, right? And just, it, I mean... It's reminding me... Um, of Chris Gardner and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Like a lot yeah. of what you're saying is so much of what he kind of played out of. If you want to change your circumstances, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Who, whoever said it would be easy is sorely mistaken. You're yeah. going to have to work hard and probably extra hard to change mm-hmm. your circumstances. But if that's where you want to go in life, it's totally worth it. Right. Yes. So once again, we are being joined by author and COO of Praxis, Mitchell Earl. Coming up after the break, a piece of financial advice that made me think a little differently. Connect with us on social media. Search at Mentoro Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we are back. Now that we know some mental actions we can take to feel content at work, let's discuss some financial actions we should focus on. Mitchell, I read an article in which you detailed what you would do if you were 17 again. First off, you would start an emergency fund, right? How much would you start with and why? Yeah, so I'll, I'll lean on Dave Ramsey here because I, I think like his, his sort of baby steps model is a good framework for getting started. I mean, $1,000 is, is plenty sufficient, especially if you're like 18 to 20, like your cost of living is low. Um, at least if, if Let's hope. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully you're being frugal and, and you don't have to live, you know, the high life. But that emergency fund is really the foundation um, of beginning your personal financial journey. And the reason being, and I, I see so many people make this mistake, myself included, uh, made this mistake multiple times when I was first starting out is you you either decide you want to start investing or you're spending most of what you're making. You don't have any kind of nest egg set aside for when life happens. Right. And then suddenly, not only are you back at, 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 at zero, sometimes you're in the negative, mm-hmm. and then you have to dig out of a hole before you can even begin to make progress. So that's what I would say is like, Start with at least like a thousand bucks. You can work, you know, to, to longer um, after that, but like at least get that that security blanket mm-hmm. in place first. Right. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we give very similar advice here at Mentoro. So next, you say avoid or pay down any bad debts. Um, so what do you consider a bad debt? Yeah, the first thing is is credit cards. Um, this is where a lot of students get in trouble too. You know, they get those those offers, student credit card offers, and they may not quite understand how credit cards work. And and the reason that they're so bad is, it's 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 positively compounding amortization. Like it's not a balance that's going down over time. It's going right. to continue to grow if you're not paying them off. And that's that's something that it's not only bad debt because of of the type of debt. Um, it, it's bad debt because it's it's continually growing. It's getting bigger over time, and typically the the things that you're buying are like consumptive goods rather than things like right. assets or things that are helping you out. But um, I've seen so many people get in a situation where that is that's an anchor or a weight around their neck. And when you're in a bad spot financially, especially when you see a, a debt balance that's growing, it not only financially makes things difficult, but it also psychologically begins to deteriorate your quality of life, mm-hmm. begins to impact your ability to make decisions um, and think longer term. And so that's that's the first thing I'd say. Credit cards, you know, car payments, 
those can be bad. I think if you're in a situation where you absolutely need a vehicle to get to work, like you do have to bite the right. bullet and figure that out if you don't have have cash to to pay off. But like any type of consumptive debt is is typically, I would say, uh, outright. That's rule of thumb. Like that's kind right. of the bad debt. There are good debts. There are things like you know taking out um, taking out business loans if if that's a, right. a business that you know you're already you're you already generating some cash flow from that. You can cover that cost of of borrowing. Um, taking out mortgages on like rental properties or things like that. Like you know people are going to argue. There's all sorts of right. personal financial <laughs> beliefs and mm-hmm. camps, but like for the most part. If your debt is is helping you earn more money, right, and that's what we kind of say. That's, that's, that's exactly, right. yeah, right. that's exactly what we say. And you know, going back to your point about being young and having all of the credit cards kind of pushed yep. your direction, we've talked before about all the different people on our team who you know were swindled with a free T-shirt to yep. get a credit card, <laughs> you know, and you go shopping anywhere, and it's well, you could get twenty percent off if you just get this yep. credit card today. And now, every single app on your phone has a credit card. Yep. So Cash yeah. App has a card. Venmo has a card. Yes. And it's just so easy yep. to fall into that trap. So how do you feel that others should pay down the debt if they were to get in this situation? We discussed the debt snowball and debt avalanche, um, lots of approaches like that mm-hmm. with our members. But what, which one do you like best? Yeah, I think, you know, both of those are useful. I think if you probably charted out like typically like debt avalanche has like a, a, a slim margin where you're paying less interest over time. I think that people sometimes get carried away living in a spreadsheet. I think that um, I would give different advice to people based on sort of their track record. If you're already mm-hmm. somebody who's disciplined and you, um, you, you're comfortable sticking to a plan, like debt avalanche may be more appropriate, like being able to right. pay off the higher interest stuff faster if if, if you're not somebody who needs that additional motivation of seeing your small debts disappear, um, then, then like make the most efficient, take the most efficient approach. Um, you know, a financial advisor that I've worked with in the past once told me something that I'm going to steal his quote, but he said, there's a big difference between efficiency and optimization. Mm-hmm. Efficiency, maybe the numbers do look good, but it doesn't factor in sort of your, your um, mental psychology, all of yes. the other things going on in life, like your ability to sleep at night. If you need that that additional motivation of tackling your smallest debts first and then rolling them in, and, and that's what keeps you motivated, makes you feel like you're actually making progress, then that's probably the better approach for you. I think ultimately, um, whether you use a methodology or you just sit down and figure out what you owe and start making payments, like you, you just have to come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. I think the first step is like, getting it all down on on paper or spreadsheet or whatever, you know, app you use today and like seeing where you're at. Um, you know, Peter Drucker says he has a famous quote as well. It's like, you can't manage what you don't measure. And that's sort of that's the true. first step is like sit down, figure out where you're at and then begin to make a plan to get out of it. Yep. Right. And show people, um, I was just talking with uh, our director of education, Jill, and he met with one of our uh, members recently and went through the debt snowball with her. And he was relaying that she kind of finally saw that light at the end of the tunnel and like, okay, this is how it works. I'm not just making these payments every month indefinitely. Yep. So kind of motivated her. But, you know, I kind of look at people, you know, if you were good at math, you wouldn't be in debt in first place, right? So, yep. I mean, it's, it's not about the math. And that's kind of, you know, the big, you know, behavior finances a, yep. a lot of times of what to focus on. So another action you recommend is what really made me think. You suggest to save $100,000 before making any major investments. Can you explain your reasoning behind this? Yeah, that's 
Um, that's definitely something that I think back, like, I wish I would have taken a much more deliberate approach about money, about saving money, about investing in my own skill development. And, and also like thinking about building that, that foundation. Um, I mentioned this earlier, like building up a foundation as a way to afford options, be in a better position to like make decisions, especially when you find yourself in a circumstance you don't like, if you're already in a good spot financially, your ability to maneuver is, is, is much more effective. And so, um, $100,000 is a fun number. I think everybody, you know, when you're out in your career, like something about six figures is is like this shiny, alluring thing. I don't think it has to be $100,000. I think the important part is the discipline that you're going to develop along the way of reaching for a large number and hitting it. Um, that's sort of the foundation to personal finance, to career success, to life success. Sure. It's like building that discipline and and being able to set goals, developing confidence in your ability to set an objective and work toward it and execute it. Mm -hmm. um, I also like $100,000 because um, that is a number today that's sufficiently large enough that if you're 18, 22, 25, it may take you several years to do, right. but you have you have won the money game already. Um, even if you're not, you, you know, you're not like buying cash flowing assets and like doing all of the other things, you're in a good spot where you're ahead of the curve, you're not in the negative and, and you have options. That's, That's the thing that I think you need to get to um, that I think most people, they don't give themselves uh, that permission. They don't give themselves the options. And, um, you know, uh, you, you referred to some statistics earlier about how many people are unhappy or unfulfilled at work or um, working jobs that they hate. Right. And I think that the first thing is like putting yourself in a position where you have the, the ability and optionality to maneuver when your circumstances aren't right. Fi personal finances is, is the foundation. The, the bigger nest egg you can build, um, the better off you're going to be. And especially if you do this early on while you still have like the ability to make right. big changes, you don't have a ton of responsibilities and, you know, a mortgage and kids and all these sure. other financial obligations that, that come. Yeah. And I think what really struck me, why I kind of thought differently is, um, you know, being the father to two daughters, we hear, at least in the past, the whole Me Too movement where women put up with some really horrible things at work because they had no options. They had to have that job. So, you know, I kind of tell my girls, I'm like, it's basically like, to me, it's like, go to hell money. You have a boss that does something inappropriate <laughs> to you. You have the options to say, I'm out. Like, whereas, you know, unfortunately, some people don't have that. Yep. And, you know, that's kind of an extreme, but I mean, it did happen. And I think that's really yep. what resonated yeah. with me of like, you, I want you to have those, or even in a bad relationship, whatever it may be, you're not stuck. And I yep. love, you know, what you said, options in any area, right? Yep. Right. I love that too. My my brother, looking at things a little bit differently, he was always very conscious about mm -hmm. money. And um, when he was in his mid-20s, was really unhappy with where he worked. Yep. We were going through some stuff um, with my family, with my dad passing away. And he said, you know what? I've always wanted to travel the world. I have this nest egg of money. I'm not quite sure yet what it is that I want to do. I'm just going to drop it, yep. put my stuff in storage. And he literally went and traveled the world for the year. That's awesome. And oh yeah. my gosh, I'm so jealous of it. It was just absolutely amazing to live vicariously through him. But he came back with all this clarity of what he wanted to do and still with money right there so that he could pick right back up with where he left off in life. And I mean, man, yeah. who who can really get to do that, you <laughs> right. know? Right, right. 
So, um, so Mitchell, finally, and, and maybe most importantly, um, here at Mentoro, we, uh, we enjoy going down rabbit holes sometimes. Oh, so boy. I'm curious, what is your favorite conspiracy theory? Yeah, that's, that's a fun one. And there are probably like a dozen that like are not appropriate for the air, but I, I think I, I <laughs> like, you know, just like to go down the, the rabbit trail too. But, um, I think if you haven't read the creature from Jekyll Island, like start there. I have the Fed Reserve, right? <laughs> yes. Go, go read yes. up about the, you know, potentially murky past history of the Federal Reserve and, you know, whether whether it's all factually accurate or not in that book, I think that's a book that's going to, you know, that's going to send you down uh, some rabbit trails online and make you at least start start thinking differently right. about, you know, the, the state of the economy and how things actually work. I know a, I know a team member that's going to enjoy that one. Yes, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't heard of that. I'm going to have to jump into I it. I read it years ago. Interesting. Yes. Okay. It, yes. it reads like a thriller, so. It does, oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah, and it shows, because I actually recently was in Jekyll Island a few years ago and saw, like, the cabin where they all met at and everything. Yeah, it was interesting. So, like, Jekyll Island, Georgia. Yes, yep. yes. Was literally there in That's the summer. That's where this, yes. I, okay, definitely yep. jumping in. Yes. Definitely going to take yep. a look. Well, um, this has been such a fun episode. <laughs> it's been so wonderful to have you. Um, and we would love to hear all of your feedback yeah, um, on this episode. So uh, email us at podcast at mentorgroup.com for any questions on this episode or future thoughts. Yeah. And Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us today. And can you let us know how our listeners can find out more about you and the great work, um, you know, you and Praxis are doing? Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure to be here and join you all. Um, check out Praxis at discoverpraxis.com. Um, we have a newsletter regularly, regularly write about uh, personal finance, education, career advice, plus also tons of content on the website that, you know, is, is focused on helping you think more clearly about your career. Um, love to, would love to connect. Yeah. And I, I will say, um, I subscribed to the newsletter. You just had one come out this morning. I read yeah. it at the hotel. So that is kind of where kind of a lot of those thoughts that I, I find they're really interesting, even for, you know, for me that I'm not a young adult, not in college, but like just a different way of thinking. And I love that. So yeah, appreciate, appreciate all you do. Yeah, absolutely. So that does it for this episode. To echo Danny, thank you so much for joining us today, Mitchell. And thank you all for tuning in. Catch us next time as we run with the bulls. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.